Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Geek Roulette, the podcast where we spin the wheel and see where the topic lands. I am your host, Mike Spriegel, and my co-host is... John Lundquist. How are you doing, everybody? We're doing really good, John. We have a studio audience this week? Yeah, that'd be great. I feel our studio audience would just pretty much be heckling us nonstop. Yeah, it would be our kids. Yep. Uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking about the aging gamer. We're going to be talking from two different perspectives, from the perspective of a casual gamer versus the perspective of a more hardcore gamer and how life has changed over probably the past 35 years or so in terms of us playing games and you know how everything has evolved with us and what we look for out of our games today. Um, First and foremost, if you uh, want to get in on any conversations or make any recommendations, go to the Geek Roulette Facebook page as well as we are available on Twitter as well as Geek Roulette. Um, for recommendations for this week, uh, one thing that was announced over the past couple of weeks or so, and I cannot wait for September, is Borderlands 3. Looking very forward to that, the evolution of the Borderlands story. I feel that Borderlands 2 is such an amazing game in terms of narrative, having the most humorous narrative mixed into such an amazing shooting, you know, loot game overall. So Borderlands 3, as well as uh, Borderlands 1, was remastered as well and is also available on both for uh, your main consoles as well as Steam. By all means, feel free to revisit that classic Borderlands as well. So that's my uh, recommendation of the of the week is going to be Borderlands. John? I'm going to do mine based off of uh, something that happened this past weekend, which will you know maybe date this episode a little bit. Star Wars Celebration was this past weekend in Chicago. Um, and I'm a big Star Wars guy, so obviously I'm going to have a couple recommendations for you. If you checked out any of the news, if you watched the trailer and you've got the, the Star Wars bug in you, um, there's a couple of things I think that will be pretty easy to jump into. The Marvel has been doing a Star Wars, or several actually, Star Wars comic book series the past few years. Um, pretty much all of which have been, you know, at least good to, you know, very great and excellent. Two of them I would recommend off the bat are the, there's two different Darth Vader series. Um, one written by Charles Soule and the other by, oh shoot, who wrote the other one? I'm drawing a blank now. You're right, I can't remember who wrote Charles Soule and... Kieran Gillen, I want to say, was the other one. Yes, the more you're recent right. One. Yes, Kieran Gillen did the more recent one. Um, they're both relatively quick. They're 25 issues each, um, broken up into probably about five or six trade paperbacks each. So um, it's just a really great insight into them. The one trade uh, series by uh, Charles Soule takes place in between episodes uh, four and five, so in between Star Wars and Empire. And there's a lot of great stuff in there of, you know, Vader hunting for the person who destroyed the Death Star, um, introduces a new character, Dr. Affer, who is really amazing, has kind of grown in her own right, and is you know has her own comic series that is also really good. Um, and there's just a lot of really awesome stuff in that series. The other series written by um, Kieran Gillen takes place pretty much immediately after Episode 3 with, you know, it starts out with Darth Vader coming off of the table, realizing Padme has died, and kind of goes on with him. You know, the first story arc is him getting his lightsaber, 
and it goes on from there and is just an amazing series so either one of those you know is a good pickup you know you can run down to your local comic shop pick those up amazon wherever you get your comics and trade paperbacks at their excellent reads and the art is also really great in them as well so check yeah. out the darth vader comics i would say that both darth vader series are probably the tightest and best of the star wars the star wars uh comic that also came out the first around the same time as darth vader feel a lot of peaks and valleys in that i think there's uh, yeah that's that's part of the reason i didn't flat out recommend that one there's a lot of good stuff in there but there's also a lot of stuff that's just kind of like it's okay whereas i feel like darth vader all the way through is is really solid and the art in the star wars one too i feel kind of is hit or miss too as well i thought the uh poe dameron comic was actually pretty good the poe yeah that one i think it started out a little rough but once it got going and picked up steam was an excellent read as well and the art in that one was really amazing as well and introduced a lot of new characters that were intriguing and i hope and since it ended i hope get those characters get picked up somewhere else and ran with and maybe they'll show up in episode nine they might you never know um so going on to next which is our arbitrary lists uh it's actually just arbitrary list singular john had a lot of problems trying to come up with uh yeah which i think we'll you know we'll kind of touch on as we get into this episode a little bit more um, what the list is going to be is the uh, three video game achievements that I have never accomplished because you know, it's either too hard or required too much time. Um, I got two golden oldies and something that, um, not, I wouldn't say recent, but something which falls in the middle of the time frame of uh, the 35 years of me being a gamer. Um, uh, the first uh, one that I will sadly admit is I have never beaten Mike Tyson at Mike Tyson's Punch-Out!, it is a game I have played so many different times. It is something where I have played against him, and for some reason I just never had the timing down, and I've never gone back to revisit it. I think I tried like a few years back to do it, and I couldn't do it still for some reason. I was able to get through everybody else, and I think what made it harder was so much frustrating trying to get through Super Macho Man and just remembering all the beats and that timing and everything you need to do with that. So... Uh, might be, never beat Mike Tyson, which only Buster Douglas can see. Ha-ha, I have beat Mike Tyson. Yeah, that's when I remember playing that as well, and each you know boxer having their own little trick, and Mike Tyson, I remember I got to him as well, and him just being ruthless. I don't think I put near as much time in it as you did, but I, I definitely remember that game well. Uh, the second thing I got on the list, same era, uh, one game that was always the benchmark of how good of a gamer you were, so I sucked a lot, actually. But I, I have never beaten the original Ninja Gaiden from the Nintendo Entertainment System. Yeah, and that's one that would have been on my list as well as we were kind of talking a little bit pre-show. Um, I even played it fairly recently. It started from the beginning and got all the way to the end, and that last boss is just just merciless. I mean, the whole game itself is merciless, and I think the only reason I did as well as I did this time around is because I spent so many hours, you know, as a teenager playing that, you know, at a friend's house and just playing it over and over and having to remember exactly where to jump when to swing you know slash your sword and duck and do this and do that and it was it was it was brutal before we uh before we've done the geek roulette podcast originally i had my original podcast which was the burning bridges podcast with mike spriegel and one of the episodes uh, myself and the guest steve medlin were talking about nintendo games and one of the things we universally agreed on, which I think both things Nintendo games emulate, is the fact that Nintendo games were just merciless. The way that you got gameplay out of it, like some games nowadays you can get like 40, 50 hours of gameplay out of it. The way they drew gameplay 
out back then is that everything had to be split second timing and it was merciless if you missed one fraction of a second that meant the difference of having to replay an entire level yeah, and it meant that and i think i would add in if i were to you know go back i thought of one as you were doing your two i think i would add in battle toads for one of mine and that it was an amazing fun game for about the three levels that you got to play it for because then you'd get to that I don't know what that race level. No, 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 I think no. it was. Uh, I I don't have any love for Battle Toads. Here we go. Let's use up the one time I'll probably say the f bomb of fuck Battle Toads. All right. <laughs> this is a game that really is just a game, just a torture a gamer. And you know, when playing like the other, like it's they're basically ripoffs of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And when you play like the arcade versions of the Ninja Turtle games, that's basically what it was trying to emulate. Except, you know what? We're just going to keep giving you the middle finger every opportunity we can get during this game. Yeah, so, you know it, what? It was merciless. It wasn't even fun. It was just a game where it's like, hey, it's like this game, except, you know what, we're just going to jam a curling iron up your ass while you play it, so that way it's just the most painful experience possible. Yeah, and I didn't think it was that bad up until you got to that one race level, which was pretty brutal and made you want to throw your controller across what the What about room. the level with the ropes where you were repelling down the... That was frustrating, but for me at least wasn't as ma- quite as maddening. I stand by fuck Battletoads, and anybody who's played Battletoads is probably going to echo that sentiment as well. I will say, just a few months ago, I saw a video of some insane person who did that race level, like, blindfolded or something, which I can't even imagine how many times that guy had to play that level to do it. Well, at least if the government was smart, they put him on a watch list, so when he snaps because of how empty his life is... Yeah, pretty much. But anyway, uh, you should have one more left. I do have one more left. And this one right here, uh, because the other two were from, let's say, the uh, you know late 80s. The other one I have is from actually the late 90s, and it's from Final Fantasy VII. Now, that is a game that I played and I invested about 50 hours into playing. And you really have to. It's a game where you do a lot of grinding, where you're just beating up just bad guys, raise experience just so you can even make a difference when you get to like the next section or board of the game itself. But sometimes there's a side game or side element of the game that's not mandatory to do, but if you do it, you get rewarded. One thing I never did in that game is that there's characters in uh, Final Fantasy called Chocobos, which are like giant chicken-like characters you can ride like horses. And there's races, and there's a whole side game in there where you can race Chocobos and breed them. And the ultimate goal of doing this is that then you're able to get what's called a gold chocobo. And the gold chocobo, what that'll do, is it lets you go anywhere on the map, which if you want to get one of the strongest summon spells possible in the game, which is called Knights of the Round, the only way you can get it is you have to breed a gold chocobo. But to breed a gold chocobo, you have to sit there and say, do I want to divest about at least 5 to 10 hours in trying to just do this weird side game just to be able to hopefully get a gold chocobo so I can get this powerful attack. I had never done it. And I've done, God did every almost every other achievement in the game. I'll add as a sub note, I've never beaten any of the major bosses, like the Ruby boss or any of those ones as well. But I know I played through it and you know, beat the main boss in Final Fantasy VII. I don't remember enough of it to know. I know I didn't do the gold chocobo thing. I don't know if I did any of those other difficult bosses, but it was a fun game, but... I never got quite in depth with it as some people did. There, yeah, there were some people that you know you'd just make it like, oh yeah, you just do this, and 
maybe back then you had time. I think the other thing that was also different for me around that time is that when that game came out, it was also when I was just turning 21, and there was plenty of other shenanigans that were available for me for, for uh, to get into as well. So can't imagine what that would be. Uh, yeah, like uh, it was 1997. So um, stuff, stuff, things. things. I wasted my life. Uh, going into our main topic now. So we're going to kind of, um, it's going to be kind of an interesting way we'll break it up. We're going to talk over gaming over time and how games have evolved as we've aged. Then we're going to have each of us talk about our own personal experiences as gamers itself um, from two different perspectives. As I said, John definitely a lot more of a casual gamer versus myself, which is a lot more hardcore. But it doesn't mean that he's not a gamer just because he hasn't done a lot of the stuff that I've done. And both of us have kids now, and now we're entering into a different phase of our lives where not only we're, if we play games, it's games and what do our kids play as well. So I think first thing to tackle that's, I think, a shared experience between both of us is looking at gaming over time and how games have evolved as we have aged. Um, I mean, what was your earliest history of being a gamer? I think for me it was definitely like growing up we had, <clears throat> excuse me, an old Texas instrument which was not typically seen as like a gaming machine although it definitely had games with it there were it was kind of a small step up from like an atari 2600 i would say um at home that was kind of what we had going out like i know my grandparents before we had that even had an atari 2600 and we had not an uncle who had one as well that when we'd go see them you know of course as kids would just flock down there and be playing asteroids Missile were, Command, were they the ones that had the drop down movie screen and the laser disc player they were my yeah, grandparents yes because we had that party at your house i don't even remember that you don't remember the party it was like around seventh or eighth grade like we all went for some oh, reason yeah, to yeah. your house like it was your, probably like an end of the year party you know them yeah probably i think it's, it was because it ring some bells because we watched empire strike back i remember playing defender on that gaming system it was me yep. you tim brian mark yep. we were all there yeah, but um, for a while that was kind of the extent of it was just playing the Texas instrument at home and, you know, Atari 2600. We didn't have Nintendo right when it came out. You know, we got one, you know, a few years afterwards. You know, it was still still definitely relevant, but not when it was the hot new thing because, you know, we were not exactly well off, so it wasn't something we could afford right away. But we did eventually get one and then graduated eventually to Super Nintendo and, you know, and then I kind of got old enough to buy my own systems and I'd get, you know, PlayStation. I hit the PlayStation pretty heavily when... When that came out, that was probably about the most current I would stay with games for a while was when I had the PlayStation and new games were coming out for that, and I would get those, um, that and probably the GameCube, which was shortly after that. Yeah, Nintendo 64. Yes, I did. I had a 64, but I don't know how... I don't think I was current. I think I was slightly behind the curve when I had that. Hmm. See, for me, it was a little different. I I think I have a similar past where, with me, I never owned an Atari. I had friends that had Ataris, like... If I wanted to play Atari when I was uh, growing up in St. Paul, I you know went to either my friend Robbie's house or I went to my friend Ryan's house. And then I had a friend Teddy. He had a uh, PC, and then there was various PC games we'd play on there as well. So that was a lot of my earlier experience playing games. I, first technical game system I had was a Texas, uh, Texas Instruments also. It was like this weird thing where the, you had to hook it up to like a cassette player and you had the games on the cassettes and the cassettes then would like play and then like upload the program into the computer. So you must have had a different one than we had. I think I remember having a cassette thing for some of the games, but most of them were, were straight up cartridges that you plugged into the, like the right hand side of the keyboard. Yeah, because there was a keyboard, but yeah, I didn't, we didn't have any of those. I think it was something that my dad 
got through his work and they're like, here, you can have this and there's four games. And I remember the games and like, it was just the games would eat up so much of the memory and Ram of the computer that sometimes it was very common that it would crash halfway through the game itself. It wasn't until, um, around 90, I want to say around 87 or so is when I got the Nintendo. And then when I got the Nintendo, it's, you know, it's one of those systems that changed my life. I think the I got the Nintendo. I got, of course, you know, the bundle which had Duck Hunt and Mario Brothers. And then the first game that we owned after that was uh, Dragon Warrior. And, you know, from there we would just rent so many games, in the, you know, from the video store. And then from there, I mean, it was just going from the Nintendo to the Super Nintendo to the Nintendo 64 to the GameCube to the Wii and, you know, or along the lines, I had the Genesis, I had the uh, uh, Sega 32X, I had the Sega... You like all the peripherals, didn't you? Right, I had the Sega CD, CD, I had the Sega Saturn, the Sega Dreamcast, you know, it was just... And then, of course, there's the PlayStation, the PlayStation 2, 3, 4. I mean, I was a... With the PlayStation, I was an early adopter with that. That was probably the last of the systems. I remember buying the Saturn when it first came out, and I bought it from the Mall of America when from their uh, what was it? it? Wasn't GameStop? It was Funkoland. Uh, no, it wasn't Funko either. It was the other one, EBX or something. Or yes, that's it. It was yeah. EBX. And I remember spending like four hundred eighty dollars on the, like the Oof. Sega Saturn <laughs> and playing Virtual Fighter on it, but yeah. I. I have a long history of games. I still, even like I remember when I sold my Nintendo to get the Super Nintendo, when I got a job, the first thing I did is I repurchased Nintendo and repurchased almost all the games that I originally had to begin with. So Yeah, and I don't look at a lot of my early Nintendo memories too, I think, because we didn't have one right away. Was like, I mean, I remember like video game rentals and like whenever you'd hang out with your friends, like if you had a, you know, weekend or something you'd be hanging out you'd go and you'd rent something like i remember plenty of times renting you know like i remember renting super mario brothers 3 with you and sleeping over at your place i think we stayed up like all night playing through that thing i remember renting uh mega man 4 and we were at your grandma's house for some reason and we were playing it over there and taking turns like trying boss like okay i'm gonna try this guy and now okay i got my butt kicked and now it's your turn it was you know there was a lot of controller passing going on because you know cooperative games weren't really a thing as much back then so it was kind of you just took turns and learned from each other's mistakes and, you know, had fun doing it that way. I, I think that'll feed into, I think, the next question is, what developments or innovation helped evolve gaming? And I, I think the one unique perspective I'll say is this. If from a, I think we were the perfect age that gaming changed perfectly as we changed as people. I know it sounds a little narcissistic, but kind of hear me out here. Because when I first became a gamer, it was with the uh, Nintendo. And then as I got older and got in, was entering into my teenage years, that's when there was the Genesis and Super Nintendo. And when I feel that when I evolved, the innovations that happened around that time is that there was better graphics, obviously, but then there was also, I think, a better dedication to the narrative of the game as well. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't think it's narcissistic. I think, I think you know, you're right. I think we just happened to be an age where when we were younger and simpler, that's how kind of how video games were because that's where the technology was, was it was very simple and the games were kind of simple as they were just starting out. And as we kind of grew, video games as, and, you know, and technology along with it kind of grew along with us. You know, the graphics got better, the games got more in-depth, more innovative, and, you know, as we kind of learned how to play them or we kind of... You know, our our 
skills kind of grew with the games as we, you know, as they threw this new stuff at us. Well, I, I mean, within Super Nintendo, you know, I think the benchmarks is when you see games like uh, Final Fantasy three or six, if you want to be a purist, or games like Chrono Trigger, you saw where you had these rich, immersive storylines and things were complex. You saw just how your actions in the game affected different elements of the game itself. And then it evolved because then you go to the next generation after that and you start getting to the CD technology. You start getting to the PlayStation. You start getting to Sega. All of a sudden, you're getting voice acting. You're actually getting like quality sound. You're getting quality soundtracks on there. And Yeah, I remember, what was, was it? Night Trap was one of the first... Like it actually for the had, Sega like, CD, yep. had actual you know video footage in it and actors and actresses and you know the whole game was acted out. Oh, it's a of, shit game you know, though. Don't. Just... Oh yes, yeah, no, the, don't mistake it for that means it's good. You know, in, innovation does not necessarily mean quality. Right, but I mean the Sega CD did actually yield a few good games on there, which one of them I sold for like hundreds of dollars and everything a few years back. But I'll talk about that a little bit later. But. But yeah, I mean, I think it evolved with us. We get into like the CD age, and then while Nintendo 64 didn't embrace the CD age, it embraced another aspect that was huge was the multiplayer gaming. Kind of your point earlier, we were passing controllers back and forth. The Nintendo 64 came with four ports built right into it, so yeah. all of a sudden, games like you know Mario Kart, Mario Party, GoldenEye. Yeah. You know, fighting games. There was just so many different games, and all of a sudden, you're inviting other people to play with, and it created a sense of community almost in that sense. Yeah, I mean, there's so many people. I think that like Goldeneye, like you mentioned, was the perfect gateway game where you, people would just come over, and you didn't have to necessarily be a hardcore gamer, or, you know, or it created hardcore gamers. Maybe was that you'd get invited over, and that's basically all you would do is you'd play Goldeneye, and you'd eat pizza and chips and drink Mountain Dew all night, and that's kind of... <laughs> Until you, you know, then got old enough and you just drank beer and everything. Yeah, and yeah, exactly, you know. Um, but, I mean, that was... De- Goldeneye, I think, is definitely a big gateway game for a lot of people. That, that that was how they got into it, and that was how they played. I mean, to where it still... It still makes headlines. I mean, I think it was like six months ago where some of the creators finally admitted that, yeah, using odd job is cheating, technically, because of the way he's set up or something like that. So, I mean, it's... A game that, you know, 25 or so years after the fact is still in the headlines. You know, during that 95 to 2000 era of the PlayStation, the Saturn, and the Nintendo 64, once again, the narrative was improved. I mean, you had stories where you were able to have these complex storylines being told. You had, like, Resident Evil, which, you know, was creating an amazing genre in itself of, you know, horror games for video games. You saw role-playing games take the ability to be able to be a lot more complex and have a much larger story and go along to that. You saw Nintendo, what they did with the Zelda games and turned them into these epic, sprawling games itself. You evolve it into the next step after that, and that's where you have the PlayStation 2, you have the Xbox, and you have, of course, the GameCube. GameCube... Not a bad system. I think just really very limited because of the format it used on there with his discs. I think that really hurt it. Yeah, Nintendo's always kind of been more of a the casual gamer's haven, you know, whereas I think Xbox and PlayStation and PC is very more hardcore. And I think with the GameCube, I mean, I liked it, but that's probably because I tend to be more of a casual gamer. You know, I'm not into the whole huge sprawl. You know, I've never played Skyrim. I've never played, you know, a lot of games where you can sit for 40, 50 hours and keep going, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, I tend to be more casual, and I think GameCube definitely leaned into that a bit harder, and I just don't think 
that that worked for a lot of people. I think around that era, Sony was the one that really dominated the market. I mean, with their PlayStation Two, they were getting all the manufacturers to make the games for them. They had games like you know the Final Fantasy series, which was exclusive to the system, which was you know huge since Nintendo was only previously the one that had the experience of that before. Um, you saw games like Grand Theft Auto 3 and Grand Theft Auto Vice City just come and just enamor people with just giant sandbox worlds. You go to the Xbox, the Xbox, Halo. Halo became probably one of the most ground-defining, you know, shooting games of all time where, you know, it went not just from Halo 1 but Halo 2 and then Microsoft becoming one of the pioneers of the online gaming as well, being able to play with other yeah, people. Yeah, I think, I think that era there when, like, I think it was probably right when PlayStation 3 and Xbox were contemporaries, weren't they? Or was it 2? PlayStation uh, 2 and Xbox. It was 2 and Xbox. I think when they came in, you know, and that was right around when GameCube was out, I think they, they kind of swooped in and kind of really left Nintendo in the dust. I think, you know, I don't know exactly, but I would guess that Nintendo was probably pretty close to calling it quits then because I think they were just so far left in the dust that everybody wanted these super realistic, super in-depth games and... Nintendo was just kind of like, hey, guys, we're over here, you know. And, and Nintendo's they, only saving grace around that time was the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance. Yeah. And all their, yeah. Handheld, their handheld gaming definitely beat that crap out yeah. of everybody else. But, you know, then you go to the generation after that. That's the PlayStation 3. That's the Xbox 360. And then you have the Wii. And each three of those offers something different to everybody else. I mean... When you have like the Wii, that's where the casual gamer thrived. All of a sudden, you took something and said, "Hey, do you want to be physically active? Great. Here's this nice game that anybody or system anybody can get into. You got a lot of shitty games on it too. I mean, there was a lot of bad yeah. knockoffs, but Sony and uh, Xbox started the war with each other. Then from that point on, just trying to one up each other, and they would each have their own exclusives. I think that to this day, there is no better online multiplayer." system than xbox live i think xbox live perfectly emulates how to connect with other gamers where i still feel sony falls a bit short of that but you know then you go to the generation after that you go to the xbox one you go to the playstation 4 you go to what i would say is both nintendo um Wii U as well as the Switch, and they both fall into that same generation right there. Yeah, Nintendo kind of tends to do their own thing, whereas I think Sony and Microsoft tend to try, and I don't know if they do it on purpose, but their console generations tend to be a little bit more closer to each other, whereas I think Nintendo's kind of like, yeah, we'll put our stuff out when we're ready, and they get end up with these weird gaps sometimes like that. Sony and Microsoft, they usually adhere to about the five-year life cycle. So, I mean, when their systems originally came out, it was about five years, and that's when when the new systems came out. Then five years, that's the new systems came out. Now we're on, like right now, as of uh, us recording this, was our first early details on the PlayStation 5 and how that system's now going to take form. Touching on that lifespan, I think for a bit, I think I think there were one thing that's interesting to look at. I think is there were these giant leaps. I think as you went from ge- console generation to console generation, where these giant leaps in you know in in memory and graphics capabilities and things like that. And I feel like the last few, I think those those incre- increments are getting you know smaller and smaller. I think they're definitely better, but I think it's more graphics don't seem to be the benchmark quite as much as it used to be. They do and they don't. I think one thing that's interesting about this most recent gaming cycle is that both Microsoft and PlayStation, halfway through their gaming cycle, 
introduced a stronger version of their system, which was able to do 4K graphics. You have the PlayStation Pro, you have the Xbox uh, X, uh, Xbox One X. Both those, they realized we need to upgrade our systems to take advantage of the system and of the new technology visually. But also, if people are going to get 4K players, use our system as a 4K player. That was why PlayStation 2 had such a huge advantage because it was able to do Blu-rays and no other system around that time could do that. And that was where Sony doubled down on that format because of that. Their system won huge on it. I think the interesting thing is like hearing the early things about the PlayStation 5 is that you're hearing that no, it's digital only. It's going to be backwards compatible. But Sony sounds like they're really doubling down on trying to deliver a better audio experience out of their system versus visual. And I think part of it is just because visually you've gone as far as you can go. It's just a matter of where you go from there. I think the Switch, Nintendo failed horribly with the Wii U, and I think they smartened up with the Switch where they realized, hey, it's great having this gamepad, but it's not fully portable, and their graphics still are much inferior the Switch was smart. Let's upgrade at least to HD graphics and make it a portable gaming system in itself. So, Yeah, I, th- I think where the Switch benefits, I think it kind of has that middle ground between the super casual gamers who just play games on their phones to the you know, the hardcore gamers. It's got that nice middle ground where it's it's portable. The games, you know, they've got a lot of the more casual, friendly games on there that appeal to those types of people. And I think that's kind of where they, they finally struck it rich, where the you know, they've got that nice middle ground where you don't have to be a hardcore gamer to get into the Switch, and there's a lot of people that are interested in something like that. And I think Nintendo was, uh, you know, the big thing with Nintendo that they always have under their belt is their exclusives. They are first-party titles. You want to play Mario, you want to play Zelda, you want to play Metroid, you want to play any of those types of titles. The only way you're going to play them is on the Nintendo system. Yeah, I think that's their one, you know, probably their one ace in the hole is that they've got those exclusives that nobody else can get i think that's you know possibly one thing that kept them afloat during those years where they were a little bit more leaner was having the you know access to the marios and stuff like that now before we break off into our individual pieces where we each talk about our own stuff what do you what in your opinion were some of the groundbreaking breaking games that changed you know you that changed me i think the one probably most recent one would be world of warcraft um I've been playing that almost since it started. It started out, you know, my wife and I played it together as a way to, she lived, you know, half an hour away on the other side of the cities, and I kind of started playing it to play with her so that we could still do things together when the weather was a little less than friendly. Um, And we've been playing it for, I don't even know how many years it's gone up to now. It's got to be 14 or so years. Um, And now it's something my kids play, and it's not something I play constantly anymore. I mean, I played it for quite a while when it first came out, just nonstop. That was the only game I played. Um, now I'm on a break from it. I haven't played it in a few months, you know, and, uh, you know, but I generally come back for each expansion and we still play it, you know, regularly with ourselves and, you know, friends of ours. And I think that's the big thing for us is with us, that's, you know, we play with friends. It's more of a social game for us to hang out with each other and with friends and, uh, stuff like that. I mean, heck, she had, she got a job that, you know, she stayed at for eight or nine years that she got thanks to World of Warcraft and people that we played with, so... Um, that's probably the most recent biggest one. Um, I've always been a fan of like the Mario's and the, the Mega Man and Link. I've been big ones, but, uh, you know, I haven't played all of them by any means. 
For me, I got several games I would say were definitely changing. And all from, as I said, I think as games grew, I grew, and what I wanted out of the games grew. I mean, I think the thing I love most as a teenager were games like Final Fantasy III and Chrono Trigger, where you cared about the character. You created a narrative now where you had different characters, and you got your favorite out of those characters. And you wanted to make sure that you got them powered up and got the most out of them. You have games like, you know, Mario 64 and. Um, Goldeneye, which were games that were party games. You get people together, everybody you know gets a controller, and everybody plays. Everybody had their favorite you know character they would take or their favorite weapon. Everybody had their favorite you know cheaty, shitty cheat act tactic they would go ahead and do at that point. Um, other games that I think were huge, like on the Xbox. I know Halo obviously is going to be one of the best. I would say in terms of shooting games and. You know, Halos 1 through 3, just epic games. From there, it gets spotty depending on which, you know, version you play from there. Knights of the Old Republic on the Xbox was such an amazing game from BioWare and one of the best uses of the Star Wars, you know, licensing what all together. Which, as big as a Star Wars fan as I am, guess what? I know. You've never <laughs> played it. I, I started it briefly at one point, but then never finished it for some reason or another. It's what I need to go back and do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a game that when you play now, it seems very limited because another title I'll get to in a second on there, uh, you know, made it look that way because another Bioware, uh, Bioware game that just made it look silly was like Mass Effect. Mass Effect with this just amazing epic sci-fi tale that Bioware put out about 97, 98 or so. And even their sec- sequel to that was just, you know, equally groundbreaking itself. A Red Dead Redemption, by far probably one of the best sandbox games that ever put out by Rockstar Games. I mean, uh, the second one came out just this past year or so, and I loved the second one, but that first Red Dead Redemption, that was one of the first games where you just felt so immersed. I mean, it is probably number two or number one on my all-time favorite games. And Yeah, and I don't, I've never played it myself, but I don't think you're alone there. I've heard quite a few people say that the Red Dead series is like their favorite of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's just John Marston and the story. Just the way it captured the feel of the West was just absolutely amazing. Other games like Fallout and the Skyrim series or Elder Scrolls series, those are games where, you know, uh, Bethesda did an amazing job. Once again, sandbox games where you create just such an amazing open world. And uh, the last game I uh, have on my list of game-changing games is that I was late to the party on it when I started playing it, you know, late, you know, at least a year or two after it came out. But like Borderlands, and especially Borderlands 2, Borderlands 2 is just an amazing game. That's why I'm just very stoked to see where they go with Borderlands 3 that comes out later this year. So, you know, those those are all games that I think just had a huge impact on me just in terms of as I got older, the different things I wanted out of them. So... Um, let's break it out here, you know. John, you as a gamer, definitely more of a casual gamer compared to me. And I don't say that with any sort of malice or stank. There's some people that are elitist where if you don't play certain games or... Like, one, yeah. one thing that's different with you and me is you play more PC games with World of Warcraft, which I never got into, so... Yeah, I've definitely been in... I'm certainly not a hardcore PC gamer by any means, but, I mean, yeah, World of Warcraft, I think I also get a little bit more into, like, mobile gaming. You know, I play a lot of games on my phones. I was, you know... Did Angry Birds for quite a while, and I was, you know... If I get hipster for a minute, I was into Angry Birds birds back when i had to pay for it you know before it was a free download um that's not something to be proud of yeah not really but you know this this was before it sold out and became bad i haven't played angry birds in quite a while but Uh, it it was good at one point i don't think anybody has i mean that was great for actually you know what killed angry birds the movie 
I think it was dead before that, but no, yeah. the movie definitely killed it. I it, remember it definitely put the stake in it. But I, if you ever want to see the worst movie of all times, the Angry Birds movie. But that's only if you just can't get access to the Emoji movie. And now they're making a sequel of the Angry Birds movie. Yeah. Um, so, how did things change as the years went on for you as a gamer, as a casual gamer? I think I'm. I think I just. I mean, I. I was into console gaming, like I said, for a fair amount of time. You know, I think it was, you know, I had a PlayStation. I played a lot on that. I did a lot of GameCube games. I never really got an Xbox, you know, or any PlayStations after that. I think for me, I just kind of ran out of time, really. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, gaming takes a good chunk of time. I mean, like you were saying before, I mean, there's games that, you know, you can sink 40, 50 hours into and just scratch, barely scratch the surface of them. And, uh,. You know, I don't have, I don't just between work and having a family and just other responsibilities. I just, I ended up not having, you know, I dedicated my time to other things as opposed to gaming. And then I think on top of that, just, you know, the time and the money, you know, I mean, new systems cost, you know, 400 bucks or so when they first come out and new games cost, you know, 50 to 60 bucks or so. Um, I think it was, it was a combination of a lot of things. I kind of just fell off. I remember the, you know, I think the last, you know, new game I got when it came out was Zelda Twilight Princess, and I played it for a little while. I'm just like, yeah, I just wasn't as interested and didn't have the time. Um, and I think that coupled with, you know, doing more World of Warcraft gaming, which was a little bit more user-friendly, and, you know, you could hop in there for half an hour and then turn it off and not have to worry about, you know, okay, I'm going to go into this dungeon that's going to take five hours time, you know, to do. I need to spend a whole afternoon to... Um, you could certainly do that in that game, but it wasn't, you know, it was more, you were more in control of what you did on a day-to-day basis. So, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely went from, I wasn't a hardcore gamer, but definitely fell into a more casual gaming niche. Well, how I would ask this question, how many hours a week do you think you play games now? Now, um, well, I'm done with Hollow Knight. I finished that off a few weeks, you know, about a month ago. Um, are we counting, like, mobile gaming in there as well? Yeah, I, I wouldn't throw that in there. I mean, you know, if you count like Lane and you know, bad. I mean, probably right now, four or five hours a week, maybe. You know, give or take. You know, when I was doing Hollow Knight a couple months ago, it was more than that. But you know, at that point, it was probably ten hours a week, maybe. You know, I mean, for for me, I think it depends. If I'm not if I'm not gaming, like like I said in the last episode, I did. I was doing Deadwood, and you know, the time that I was. Watching Deadwood would have been time I was playing Hollow Knight or something else, you know. So I imagine when I pick up another game, my my TV watching will probably fall off. So I think my my free time with things like video games, reading, and you know, and TV shows and movies, kind of there's a limited amount of time. So if I'm leaning heavily on one, then the others kind of you know I wouldn't say suffer, but they definitely fall off a bit. I think an interesting aspect of that, and obviously the listeners can see the room we're in right now. So we're we're in my home, we're in my basement, and I have a finished room, which I call my media room, which has all of my, you know, comic books all up on racks. I have all my movies on shelves, all like, you know, my graphic novels, my CDs, you know, just I have like my video game, like an entire entertainment console down here. And the one thing that's different, like John, I'm sure you'll see over here that I have, of course, my TV right there or monitor. Yep. And that's what I do. When I play video games, I'll be playing video games. And on my monitor, I'll have something streaming to the left of me. For me, time's a premium. So if I'm playing a video game, that's where I'm like, all right, what's a show that I also want to watch at the same time? And I have that going on in the background with me yeah, at the same time. Yeah, and I know time. there's a lot of people that do that. And I generally, like, when I read, I can't generally listen. You know, I won't listen to music at the same time. I usually just kind of focus all on reading. If I'm watching a movie or something, I won't be doing anything else on my phone. Or if I'm playing a video game, you know, my, my attention is focused on that. That's, I think, why 
the games that tend to appeal to me more are the ones that have worlds that just kind of suck you in and kind of demand your attention, you know. So I, you know, I I like to just focus my attention on that and not have other distractions going on to take away from the experience of whatever it is, whether it's a video game or a movie or TV show or whatever. So like it goes into the next question I'll ask you then is what were the things that you looked for in games as a kid versus what do you look for now as an adult? I think as a kid it was I don't know that I knew what I was looking for. I think you you'd look for a cool box and you'd be like, Oh, that looks cool, I'll rent this game, I'll play this game. Um And you get lied to so you'd like buy oh, rent so a game then which such a shitty game and like, Oh, why did I ever rent this? And Yeah, I mean as a kid it was a little bit more you know, I think there were games I probably played then that I wouldn't necessarily now. Now I tend to prefer you know, like more casual games that I can jump into. Like the Mario games tend to be things, you know, I'll knock out a couple of levels of Mario and then go do something else. Or I'll play, you know, something else that'll, that doesn't suck me in and demand my time quite as much. I'm not saying that I won't ever get into those types of games again. I mean, I certainly will. You know, I mean, Skyrim is something that, you know, from hearing how awesome it is, I'd love to get in and try that at some point or whatever the sequel ends up being down the road. Um, but I think, yeah, right now it's just more, I think, Part of it, too, is the aesthetic of it. Like, Hollow Knight, you know, I keep going back just because that's the most recent game I spent a fair amount of time on. I think I had 40 hours logged in that thing. Maybe a bit more, but I think, like, the the world and the artwork that they did in that thing was so, you know, just so, you know, unique and, you know, gorgeous to look at. It was part of what pulled you in, I think. So it was, you know, I think those are the things. It has to be something that catches my attention, too, you know. I mean, seeing another Call of Duty where it's just, oh, it's another realistic war game, you know, just does not appeal to me like at all and you know as a as a gamer now i mean when you look at the things that you do i mean how how do you see this changing over the next couple of years i mean looking at what you do with your kids what you do now as an adult how do you what do you see your path as a gamer now being within the next couple of years i think i definitely see my kids will definitely play a role i mean my daughter's gotten into world of warcraft quite a bit where she wants to play with us and she you know right now she plays on my account and has her character on there but she definitely wants to get her own account and i can see that being something where i play with her uh, my wife's played a little bit more because she's got her own account and so it's easier for her to you know with the two separate accounts to play but i definitely see like what the kids want to do playing an aspect of that because you know i love my kids and i like hanging out with them and doing things with them um aside from when they're doing like tiktok and all that obnoxious stuff um but there are some things they get into that, you know, and gaming being one of them that, you know, I can see that being a big motivating factor of, you know, all oh, the kids like this and it actually doesn't look horribly bad, you know, like something interesting. And once their tastes kind of mature more and they, they're into more interesting and more fulfilling games, I can see that being a road that I go down with them. It'll be a little bit different with me and I'll get into that, I think, in a second. I mean, I think going down my path as more of a hardcore gamer and for me, as thing, how things changed as the years went on, I think, was that, you know, I played Nintendo probably just as much as any other kid played Nintendo when we first, you know, had that system out. When Nintendo 64, or not Nintendo 64, uh, Super Nintendo came out, it was different. I think around the one thing that was different with Nintendo 64 is that around that time, my parents were divorced. We didn't have a lot of money, so we for me... It was getting the most out of my game. So one of my achievements, I remember, like Final Fantasy II, I remember renting that from the video store and beating it within 48 hours, which I remember I think I only slept like two or three hours within that period of time. But for me, the reason why was because 
you know, I spent three dollars on the rental at that point. I had to get my money's worth out of it. So I remember beating that game and just yeah. grinding to the minimal level necessary just to barely get to the next point. Well, on top of even just not even having the money to rent it, you know, maybe in another week. I mean, back then it was like, who else is going to rent it and maybe save over my you know, This was before you saved on your system. So exactly, was, you know, you had to go back and rent the exact same cartridge and hope that whatever kid had rented it in between you didn't, you know, save over your save. So for me, when I started getting older, like when I ran Nintendo games, you know, it was just like, as you said, you went by stuff, the box art or off the hype of the game. I think Nintendo Power Magazine was a good guide of, hey, you should probably play this game. So I would play this game and, you know, I would enjoy it. But when you get to the Super Nintendo, it was a little bit different, I think, because that's when I was entering into my high school and teenage years. And during those years, I will definitely say this without any... Shame. I wasn't a popular kid. I wasn't going to parties. I wasn't going out doing things. It was me, you, Mark, sometimes Tim and Brian hanging out, you know, every now and then. Yeah, we had our core group. We had a core group, but for the most part, for me, it was just, you know, losing myself in games. If I rented games, it was making sure that, hey, is it something I'm going to enjoy? Was you know, is it a game that me and my brother at the time are going to play? So, like, when Street Fighter came out, it was like, hey, this is great, a fighting game, and we play for long periods of time. I remember we would invite neighbor kids over and have tournaments with Street Fighter just to try to play. I remember, like, you know, play with Mortal Kombat when that first came out. I remember, uh, like, you remember this as well as me. The trip that, to Chicago. The trip to Chicago. In our senior year, <laughs> we went to Chicago, so for our language classes, just to visit various museums and things of different cultures. And I brought my Sega Genesis, and I... Beat our friend at the time like 53 times in a row in Mortal Kombat just using Sonya Blade. And yep, and we're, you, I was just doing like one primary, one move pretty much. Yeah, really. I was just doing was... one chicken shit move <laughs> over and over again. And I remember he was so <laughs> mad he kept playing and he's got blisters on his fingers and everything. But, I mean, that's what, that's what we did back then is you played video games, you did it for fun. When games changed from that point on, when I graduated high school, one thing that was different is that I worked at a fast food restaurant and I was a, like not a main manager, but I was like a sub manager or crew manager and I would run shifts. So video games changed in the sense that I would work all different times. Like I, one of the jobs, as I said, I worked fast food. It was White Castle, which is open 24 hours a day. So if I worked night shift and I got home at like six, seven in the morning, you don't go to sleep right away sometimes. You need to unwind. So I would play video games. You know, it would be a perfect way for me to unwind. Play different games. And around that time is when the uh, Saturn came out, the PlayStation came out. and But around that time was also when I had, you know, started getting into relationships and started dating. So that would also, you know, kind of eat into some of the time as well. But, you know... I would just love all these new different things. Like with the Sega Saturn, I loved all the fighting games that were for it. With when and it was the uh, uh, PlayStation, like games that were some of the revolutionary ones were like, you know, re- as I said, the Resident Evil. You had the Final Fantasy games. You had the Tekken games. You know, they were games that, you know, I could pick up at various points in time. And then I remember when I moved out. When I moved out on my own, I, you know, lived in an apartment with a couple of friends. That's when the Nintendo 64 became probably the most popular system because we would play games like GoldenEye. We would play games like Mario Kart. We would play wrestling games like WCW versus NWO, and we would just be playing these games at like 2, 3 in the morning, you know, just because 
we were just in that age range around 2021 where we were up we didn't have any priorities we just worked when it would change from there is then you know again to the next generation is then uh that's when like i started getting more enamored with the whole shooting games you know like when halo came out like this is an amazing game and just losing yourself in this amazing world the sandbox games of losing yourself within grand theft auto grand theft auto vice city and i think what really became one of the big game changers for me is uh, when i finally got to the both the xbox 360 and the playstation 3 and i think definitely the xbox 360 games like uh, elder scrolls oblivion you know those are just amazing games just to play just because of just such an immersive world at the time it, that's what i was looking for they had just these amazing worlds and then I started realizing video games were starting to get better than movies. You had games like Red Dead Redemption, Mass Effect, games I've already mentioned where they were better than some of the movies you'd find out in the theaters themselves. And you wanted to lose yourself into those worlds. And around those times, those games came out was when I got married. When I got married, I was with my wife. It was just the two of us. If my wife went to bed early, then guess what? I would be up for about four or five hours playing those games. And if it was something around that time I worked as a retail manager, if I worked a shift that I got done 11 at night, I would be up to three in the morning if I knew that I could sleep and a little play with that. And then we had kids. And then when you had kids, that changed a lot of the dynamic because... All of a sudden, it's just not you. Like the early days, I remember when I had like our first son. It was just, hey, you know, he's sitting there sleeping. I'll take care of him. I'll let my wife sleep. I'll play, you know, Halo 3, Halo Reach, and just play those games. But then, you know, for me, as I said, it was the evolution of games becoming into almost like interactive movies, like Red Dead Redemption. You know, it became just playing into these just amazing worlds i remember like when rock band came out rock band was a game that i enjoyed heavily just because it was something my wife liked to play even Uh, you know we would sit there and play games the week came out we would play games with her and her family and it became a way of just sharing interacting and now i look to how games are with me today like over the past four or five years or so I I remember a period of time I would buy several games a year. I would say now I only buy maybe about two or three games a year. Um, I'm very selective about what games I buy. I think part of that, too, isn't just because of the limited time. I have three kids now, so trying to play games is a much more harder thing to do. I think what's much more different now is this, is that if I'm going to play a game... I need to play a top-shelf game that meets the interests of what I'm looking for. So, like, this past year, I bought Red Dead Redemption 2. I was perfectly happy playing that. The next game I'm going to buy uh, this year is uh, Borderlands 3, but that doesn't come out to September. Sometimes I'll buy a back title that will surprise me. Like, I thoroughly enjoy Titanfall 2, and that kind of falls into what you were saying, is that it was a nice, mindless game where I could spend two hours... I'm not really achieving anything, but I'm playing online against other people. And it's just a fun game just to shoot other people at that point. But, you know, now for me, if I play a game, I only play probably four to eight hours a week, depending on the week. Some weeks are much less than that, depending on what's going on in my life. But when a new game comes out, I try to make more time for that game. I think it also depends on stress. I think for me, it's a lot more of a stress release when 
if I'm just having a just a bad game, I actually find it's more relaxed to replay an old game than it is to try to get into a new game sometimes. Yeah, I've definitely found that like with the the Switch as the Nintendo Online stuff, there's a lot of games that's fun to jump in there and you know, find something old familiar. Like I was saying, I got into Ninja Gaiden and played through that and you know, our old role playing games, you know, like I played, you know, several years ago I got back into Chrono Trigger and played that for quite a while. It's nice to you know, like an old familiar shirt, you know, just something that you're, you know, is fun, relaxed, you don't have to, you know, obsess over what you have to do next because you're kind of already familiar with it. Well, and I, I think for me, going back to playing old games, like, you know, I went back and, you know, a few months back started playing Skyrim again. It's like, you know what, I'm just going to dink around and play against the normal type I play, whereas, hey, usually I play stealthy guys. I'm going to take this big, beefy, brawny, dumb guy and just start, you know, swinging away with a hammer and just see what happens from there. It's the experimentation, you know, playing Borderlands. It's like, you know what? I've already done all of this. What could I do differently and just explore the game that I know and love in a different perspective, which is kind of nice because I think sometimes we get caught up in our own ways and mannerisms. So it's the trick is just trying to get used to, hey, what if I just do this differently and experiment? And sometimes you find yourself pleasantly, you know, surprised. Like right now, replaying through Borderlands 1 now that it's been remastered and you know they've made some minor tweaks in there it's it's fun it's great revisiting a game that you played when i look at my kids i think the tricky thing is this is that there's some games i will play with my oldest son and he cherishes those moments there's other games i kind of want to play with them but i can't yet it, he's at that age where you know what he's ready for this but the content is a little above at that point and i think in the next couple of years I'll find that my type of gaming that I'll do probably is going to coincide more with my son's gaming where there's going to be a lot more mature titles that he can be exposed to, which he can't now because he's only nine years old. And you get into that. I mean, it would, it's that weird thing with your kids. It's like, when when is your kid ready for certain things? Like, I Yeah, it's, it's kind of like we had touched on before when we talked about, like, we kind of grew with games. I mean, like, I think games kind of matured with us. You know, I think we're... As the consoles got on, they, the games got more mature, and then we got more violent, more whatever. But, you know, as they did, we kind of grew older, and we were kind of ready for that stuff. Whereas now kids are kind of just thrown in the middle. And it's like, I don't know, figure it out. And, you know, if it's, it's kind of up to your parents to decide what, you know, what you're ready for. I think one gaming trend that has evolved over the past couple of years I have not gotten into is that... Like, over the past year or two, you've seen a lot more of Battle Royale-style games, or you've seen a lot more of online games. Like, some of the games that I love, like, as an example, uh, like, I love the Elder Scrolls series of games, but the one game I haven't played is Elder Scrolls Online, and part of it is because of it being online, and... It's not that I'm antisocial. I remember when I played video games before I used to play with certain people and friends online. But now that you're older and your friends are older, your friends' time schedules are a lot more different. So if I'm playing online, I'm playing with strangers. I think that's sometimes the lack of appeal of some of those games is I don't want to play with strangers. So when you have all these new Battle Royale-style games, it's like Fortnite as an example, or Players Battle Underground. It's like, you know what, I could probably get into those games. It's not like it's any different what I'm doing when I play Titanfall 2 online. But I think part of it is is that the people that excel the most in those games are the ones that are the most tightly knit together. They're all friends. They're all forming like minor squads that you know work together towards an overall goal itself. So 
online gaming I know is moving more into this like cooperative hey you know what it's about being social online which is kind of what it was like when we you know had the Nintendo 64 and we were playing games but we were all in the same room yeah I think it's just it's a different kind of social now I think where you're playing online I think there's and that's the interesting thing now is that we've gotten older I think there's gaming genres that we're just not interested in like you know some of the things my kids play a lot of now is like minecraft and roblox which are games where you can kind of go online and people create things that you can jump into and log into and play their game that they created and you know do whatever it is you want to do in there and just for me it's not that i don't think it looks fun it just doesn't really appeal to me for whatever reason so you know i'm fine with leaving it behind whereas my kids that's you know they play they'd play roblox all day if i let them well i remember like back then, like if and it sounds like dating myself here, but like I remember like back in like oh oh seven oh eight and everything, you know, ten eleven years ago, you play online. You would have kids online. You'd have the nine or ten year old that would be swearing at you or calling you names. But the problem is, is because they're nine or ten years old, they don't know what the hell they're saying. Like they're talking about you know your mom being a you know dumb bitch and things like that, and you're like, oh, you nine year olds and ten year olds. Now that you're older and everything, you realize, well, wait a minute. Now I'm the elder statesman on this. I mean, I'm the oldest guy here compared to everybody else. And Yeah, I think there's there's definitely something there. I do remember seeing somebody online a few weeks ago had said something. They were like, you know, they're like, Fortnite is the greatest game ever. And they're like, and I don't even play it. They were like, but it takes all these kids and it puts them in one spot and puts them in a game that I don't play with. So now all these other games that these kids used to play, I can play and I don't have to worry about running into these you know, immature 13, 14-year-old kids online that are, you know, just ruining the experience because they're all doing something else that I just don't care about now. And I think gamers have evolved in general, too. Like, I remember, like, in Halo, you know, 3 playing online and somebody, you know, kills you. You'd have that person do the obligatory teabagging of your character and everything. Like, ah, yeah, you got me good right there. And there's still those same childish, immature tactics or things you see in some of these games. And you still have trolls that are in some of these games. It, it's weird, though. I think now well, the way gaming has gone is that it's become a weird phenomenon now where before there used to be so many different games you could choose from. There was so much different selection. And I look now at games, and there really isn't. There's... There's maybe a few games that come out each month. You have so many gaming studios now that are shutting down, and yeah, I think there's. I mean, there's definitely the A plus games that still come out. You know, like your, you know, Borderlands three and whatnot. But they definitely seem to be fewer and far more far between. I think. I think the one thing that we haven't touched on a whole lot is the the independent game the you know game companies that have kind of sprung up and. You know, some of them do very well. You know, like Fez from a few years ago. I think you know it was an independent game company game company made that did really well with it and you know they'll throw them up on like you know whether it's nintendo switch on their online store or you know playstation plus or xbox live store you know or on steam and they'll get you know quite a following that way by just doing something you know maybe it won't be a 40 hour epic long game it'll maybe be a nice shorter concise thing but it'll be so innovative and fun to play that everybody's like you know hey this game's you know not as in depth but you're gonna have a hell of a time playing it for the you know eight nine hours that you have on it right yeah those games that are like only five to ten hours like i remember like there's the independence that go to different platforms like i remember like games like don't starve and or anything like that where you're like hey it's this nice little quirky little game it's nothing that's too long or complex and you know i part of it too is you also have a lot of people that 
it, the way gaming was is is now is now is this is that you still have your dedicated online you know your computer based community that does it. You have your people that use Steam, people that use Epic, and they play their games online. You have you're still console based ones. I really feel that console gaming has been dying. I think that's one of the bigger things. Like when you used to watch E3 and you see each system and each you know game manufacturer gush about all the different games they're making now you don't have that same grand majesty as it is now it's like you know what instead of like having several different titles we got to put all our eggs into two or three titles and hope that these you know are great selling games and you still have your carryovers you have all your maddens and your other games like your titles where you have annual releases of them but Gaming's kind of become a very different thing than what it used to be. And, you know, I, I don't even know, like, to say this, is that I'd say your hardcore gamer now is probably still the same age demographic of what it's always been. I think the difference now is, like, you know, now that if you're an aging gamer like me, and if I get into a game, like, when I started playing Titanfall 2... I was getting the crap beat out of me on a regular basis. And part of it is because I wasn't playing it all the time. After playing it more and more frequently, I got good enough. I I would, I would always be good enough to be to a certain level, like above average, but I would never be the best. And I think part of it is because I have all these other obligations, because I have my kids I tend to, because I have my wife, because I have all these other things. And I don't say that as a bad thing, like, oh, you're holding me back from being the best, but... It's good to have those things that you can focus your life on. And it doesn't make it hurt as much knowing, like, I'm not the best in this game. But the reason I'm not the best is because there's other things I'm attending to. But if I can still occasionally beat the crap out of a guy that is the best, it still makes me feel good in some ways. Yeah, and I think for me, like, I got into Overwatch last year. And I was, you know, like you said, I was never the best at it. But I think I got good enough to where I was still pretty decent with a few characters. And I was still good enough to where I was having fun. Mm-hmm. You know, whether I was winning or sometimes even when you lose, you still have fun, I think, you know. And uh, one thing I think we haven't really touched on is, like, esports and gaming in that way, I think, is is an area that's taken off quite a bit where there's these huge tournaments and, you know, starting to get their own celebrities, like with Ninja, that, you know, I think appeals definitely to, you know, a younger audience than us. You know, I think Ninja definitely appeals to, you know, teenagers and, you know, 20-something-year-old, you know, our kids, essentially. Um, but well, I think that's a whole other area of gaming that is just, taking off and doing different things and you have game companies that are developing games with almost with that specifically in mind like this is going to be a big esports thing that's going to take off and that's where we're going to make our money on as opposed to you know selling it to the casual home gamer not even that i think another thing you just touched on i remember you brought this up like when we were talking a couple you know a couple weeks back but for some people they don't play games they live vicariously by watching People play games you have now people that have like twitch streams where hey you know what you can watch me play a certain game and instead of somebody playing a game they just rather watch somebody play a game you have youtube where we have youtube playthroughs now where people will watch on youtube and watch other people play games yeah and that's something that my kids have gotten to that where they they'll watch game that's almost how some games become popular i think is they'll watch a certain streamer play a game and then also make hey this hello neighbor thing is something i need to play now and then it's you know that's what they want to do but they watch you know these popular personalities on youtube play these video games and you know they might never play whatever this game is but they'll just have fun watching somebody else play it and you know listen to their commentary on it and i think that's a good and a bad thing it's interesting where hey you have outlets where you can watch other people play games and see if it's something you'd enjoy 
I think it's also created a different other negative aspect of it. And what I mean by that is that you have now people that are do these sort of things and they're almost doing they do it professionally they do professional stretch uh twitch streams professional youtube channels and their overall arcing goal is this is to try to get as many subscribers so then they can get advertisers and they can get paid for it and you have all these people that are so focused on becoming a personality at this point like hey i'm a per i'm a gamer and i say a bunch of witty funny things and i do all these things and i understand the irony of that because I'm doing a podcast right now. So why am I doing a podcast right now in the sense that if I can't sit there and say, bemoan that, hey, you guys are just doing this for advertisers of money. We don't have advertisers of money. But I do also understand that, you know, it's different if it's something you do because you enjoy. If this is a podcast that were to grow and, you know, flourish into something else where we got a larger audience... I would be stoked because, you know what, that's great. That means that people will listen to me. That means that somebody maybe likes something I'm saying for the most part. But, I mean, you know, for the most part, I look at it in the sense that, you know, that's that's something that's nice if it happens, but if it isn't. But you have people that are working so hard right now in these areas to try to hit every demographic they possibly can that in some ways that, you know, that there's – you you have these like YouTube personalities, other personalities your kids watch, but then these personalities, yeah, they do some shitty things, and you realize, you know what? They're just like anybody else. They're just as flawed and everything. So it's uh, PewDiePie. It, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a good example of one. Uh, the other guy that douchebag that went like, oh, I went in the Japanese suicide forest. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other thing, right? That that's a whole other syndrome of online. But I mean, it's intersected a lot with gaming as well. So, so that's that's kind of an explanation, I guess, of you as a casual gamer and me as a more of a hardcore dedicated gamer. And the the ironic thing is, it's that you know, it's not like I'm playing that many more hours a game for than you in a week. I think what I dedicate my time to is a little bit more narrow and focused, maybe, but. Yeah, I think it's more just, you know, I tend to play the more casual things I can pick up and put down at, you know, whenever I want, whereas you tend to dedicate your time more like, okay, I'm going to sit down and play this game, whereas I'm more, you know, I'm doing it while I'm laying in bed or, you know, sitting on the couch watching the news or something, you know, something more casual like that, whereas you're more dedicated to, you know, okay, I'm going to take two hours and play this game and that's what I'm doing for an hour or two or whatever it is. Right, so like when Borderlands 3 comes out in September, you know, it's like, all right, I want to play through it, but I can't also neglect my other responsibilities. So, you know, if I play it, it's going to be those two to three hours a night or that rare time maybe I get to play four or five hours in a row. But that that's the problem is there's so many other things competing for your time that while I'm playing Borderlands on my monitor right here, I'll probably be streaming something and watching a program I'm catching up on as well, too. So That I won't watch for several years. <laughs> yep, that's, that's kind of how it is, so... So that's kind of the wrap-up, I think, of a lot of just, you know, how gaming is in terms of, you know, what it looks like from both a casual and more of, a, you know, hardcore. And I don't even think you can call me hardcore. I mean, I'm a former hardcore gamer at this point, but I still have an immense passion and love for it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of ultimately the bottom line, I think, is that gaming has kind of evolved from, you know, back when we were kids to now to where you can be super casual and you can play just a couple games on your phone or you can be a hardcore gamer who plays 
whatever game it is you love for 12 hours a day so you're at the you know you're the top in that game and then everything in between i think and it's the gaming community has kind of evolved to you know take care of everybody in there right i mean it's it's a matter do you do it for the fun or do you do it for the challenge or is it a combination of the two that you know falls in between both of those so anyhow wrapping up we do appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast itself. Uh, hopefully, I think the next episode that we have, at least on docket after this, we'll probably try tackling uh, the Avengers Endgame in terms of how that movie turns out. Yeah, I know there's millions of spoilers already out there, and the movie hasn't even come out at this point yet. And Yeah, that'll be out next week, so yeah, looking forward to that. Um, it'll probably be a spoiler-filled episode, so if you can go see it opening weekend, try try to you know we'll probably start out with a quick review spoiler free but we will probably dive into spoilers pretty heavy on that right otherwise you know other episodes you know maybe down the line we'll talk depending on how you are i mean where are you at right now with game of thrones what have you watched through oh i'm not i've kept up with spoilers but i've seen probably only the first two or three seasons but i've kept up with spoilers on pretty much everything Mm. yeah i've read the books up until the third book fourth Mm. book the fourth book so I'll talk about it. Old John sits here and says, "Yeah, actually, biggest uh, other endorsement I can make right now, which of course I should have done in the beginning of the episode itself. If you have the time and ability right now, definitely see the show Barry on HBO, which will right now be following Game of Thrones, but it's already had a season under its belt. Uh, I would say that it's probably one of the most brilliant shows out there in terms of mixture of." Uh, comedy and drama it almost feels like in many ways like kind of the early episodes of breaking bag where you just have those humorous moments but when it shifts to a serious moment it just does it so suddenly bill Hader is does uh just an amazing job just conveying so many different emotions in that show and he uh won a uh, uh, Emmy last year, this past year for uh, best actor in the show, and by all means, he deserves every ounce of it. It's such an amazing show. Which, John, you'll probably get to what two, three years from now. Yeah, maybe something like that. So watch Barry on HBO. It's on its second season, about two, three episodes in. There's also a, such another amazing character, Noho Hank, which once again, it's those little things. So. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We hope you, you will catch us next episode as well. Have a good one, everybody. Goodbye.